Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel here in the wonderful Baseball America podcast nook, which Ronnie McCabe deserves kudos for, for cleaning up. Ronnie, the most veteran member of the Baseball America crew, former Richmond Braves clubby. So now he'll out, his job at Baseball America will outlast the Richmond Braves who are moving, and there's big news in the Richmond market, but we'll leave you to Josh Leventhal's Business Beat blog to check that out. That might be a separate podcast, JJ. I believe today on August 1st, everyone wants to talk about the trade deadline, so it's a special edition of the podcast. We didn't want to wait till Monday. We'll do it on Friday this week to go over the trades that happened uh, this month and this this week, mostly this week. I don't think we're here to talk about the past, as Mark McGuire would say. We're not going to go over Rich Harden and CeCe Sabathia, although both those guys have been outstanding. I think that... Clearly, those are the two best pitchers who were traded, and I think it's uh, amazing that both those teams made those moves early. Everything that moved yesterday, with the exception of a couple of relief pitchers, uh, J.J., all the big moves the last couple of days centered around big bats, not big arms. Hall of Fame bats. I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the that's crazy it. thing is, is that you are talking about yesterday – in the last two days, if you go back to Savon Rodriguez was you know was the day before, but in the past two days, you saw three pretty much surefire Hall of Fame first ballot guys, first All ballot guys. for sure two first ballot guys. I don't, we I don't know if Manny Ramirez is a first ballot. I mean, I think yeah, he but is. when when you say it all done, he's what is that five hundred home runs? Oh, I now. think I think he is. I'm just saying. I, I'm sure there's some I'm, guys who would. Who are in the protest Manny vote? And Manny. Exactly, but uh, but Ivan Rodriguez and Ken Griffey Jr. are no doubters. And I think Banny Ramirez, when it's all said and done, is going to be a no doubter. I mean, I agree. And that's three Hall of Famers traded, and in two cases traded for not a whole lot. I mean, now they're you know they're a little bit further on in their careers, but Ken Griffey was traded basically for, for here. Will you take some of his salary, and we want to give him a chance to play in the playoffs? And Yvonne Rodriguez was traded for, you know, uh, basically a guy who a couple of years ago. Yeah, a, cu- <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Yankees fans would have been like, who? You know, we want to get rid of him? Oh, yeah, go ahead. And Absolutely. now they're crying about it. But you Mo- know. I think most Yankee fans are still glad that Kyle Farnsworth is gone, even though he had a good month, month and a half. But Yvonne Rodriguez to the Yankees for Kyle Farnsworth from Detroit. Uh, 
that 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 one is to me easy win Yankees, uh, even if Detroit you know needed, I, it, is desperate it, for bullpen help. Yeah, it's it's baffling to me on from Detroit's standpoint. Like that just doesn't. It seems like yeah, you gave up a whole lot more there than you got back. I mean, I, I guess Detroit. Honestly, I think Detroit must. You can't do this unless you you just prefer Brandon Inge behind the plate than Yvonne Rodriguez, which is kind of hard to believe that that would be the case. But, you know, Yvonne Rodriguez has had a, a nice, after a really poor start, he's had a nice bounce-back season. He's actually walked 19 times this year. It's close to a 2,000, an odds high for him. Um, but their bullpen was struggling, J.J. You know, Todd Jones now in the DL, he's terrible. Uh, Aquilino Lopez has been one of their better guys this year. Zamaya's banged up. Fernando Rodney's not been good of late. Uh, you know, they're using guys like Clay Rapata and Bobby C a lot out there. They, they needed I, they, bullpen help. They needed so that's bullpen why they help, made the but it, it just still is a little baffling to see basically, you know. The cost of bullpen help remains <laughs> ridiculously high, the trade deadline. And, and it also does show where what the value of a guy like David Price may be, even before you get the the great part of David Price's career. But, if you know, if Jeff Samarja can do this for the next couple of months. Right, <laughs> great you're point. You're seeing – the value of if you have a guy in the minors, even if he's going to long-term be a starter for you, if you can have him come up and pitch you know, in July, August, and September, pitch well in the bullpen as a seventh-inning guy, it really does make you know, a, a big difference because, heck, you know, the cost of that apparently is, you know, if you want to go out and get it, is basically a 13-time uh, you know, all-star uh, catcher. Well, it's a huge – uh, honestly, it makes me think – that these clubs that go out and sign free agents, uh, middle relievers in the offseason to what seem like outsized contracts, you know, I usually think that's a bad idea. Maybe not. Um, I'd rather give up the money, J.J., than give up a player. I, I would agree with you on that, but here's the thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at how many of the guys who were – how many of the guys who were at least rumored to be traded as far as middle relievers. Oh, yeah. How many of those guys were the guys signed to big money contracts, and how many of them were, the, were just – Winning well, by numbers. Farnsworth. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Farnsworth was, but like, contract. like I'll give you Will Ullman. You know, like right. Will Ullman's not a big money guy, but he was high in demand because you know. You almost wonder like how high in demand because it's almost like he was too too much in demand. The Bryce right. couldn't end up making that deal, which is fascinating. Like, and from that standpoint, again, just some of the deals that don't get made yeah. are as interesting as the ones that do. Or surprisingly, the Twins not making a deal surprised me a little bit because Craig Monroe's hitting around two hundred as a right-handed hitting DH and. Uh, their third base situation is still a little unsettled, and now they have, you know, Alexi Casilla get hurt. The Twins are still only a half game out in in the American League Central. No one quite seems to know how. They've still got Francisco Liriano in reserve. Uh, he's coming up. It sounds like very uh, the Lavelle Neal of the Star Tribune blogs this, uh, last night that uh, Levon Hernandez may have made his last start for the Twins, which I think a lot of Minnesota uh, fans a wise, are a wise choice, probably. Um, you know, but they've also called up Luke Hughes at AAA. But you know, you look at Luke Hughes in the Eastern League. I'm making Eastern League best tools calls. You know, he's not necessarily coming up for best defensive player anytime soon, <laughs> put it that way. Uh, he's sub-900 fielding percentage at, at third base. And, you know, the Twins, uh, you know, talked, I talked to a couple scouts in the Twins and out of the Twins organization at the Futures game, and that's the whole question. They want a right-handed hitter to play third base to compliment Brian Busher. He's in that mix. He's basically at the top of that mix, but uh, the defense is what's holding him back. Are you living, living, living with, you know, a 
fielding percentage that's the twins Ryan Braun-esque. The Twins do not. And what, the other thing is, maybe they put Brendan Harris back at third base. He's probably better suited there than his shortstop. But the problem is, is you have to have someone to... It's a pretty funky team. Well, Nick Punto could play shortstop. I don't know who plays second in that scenario. Or Adam Everett is back. He can play shortstop. The Twins fascinate me that they didn't make a move. Uh, one of the teams that did make a move, I guess, a team that made a lot of moves, uh, it's Pittsburgh. Let's talk about Pittsburgh real quick, and then I'd like to talk about the Angels. The Pirates made two big trades in all this, JJ, and they picked up a lot of players, eight players, um, not all the minor leaguers, but in the Manny Ramirez to Los Angeles, Jason Bay to Boston deal, the Pirates get Andy LaRoche at third base, Brian Morris, a right-handed pitcher, uh, and A-ball, Craig Hansen, and Brandon Moss from Boston. And then in the trade they made earlier with the Yankees, they got Jose Tabata and three AAA right-handed pitchers, Ross Ollendorf, Dan McCutcheon, Jeff Carstens. I think the consensus seems to be that they didn't make out so hot in that trade. We talked about that Monday uh, with Ben Badler. I, I didn't think it was so bad. I, I really, I, I do. I'm a little baffled by that from the standpoint that they got a prospect in that trade. I mean, you always say, you know, buy low, you know, sell high. They sold high on Xavier Nady. I mean, Correct. Xavier Nady is and Thomas Marte. Thomas Marte is getting right-handers out more than. By far better than he has uh, for most of his career, so they sold high on him too. Right, and but Xavier Nady, just a couple of years ago, was a guy who was looking for a job essentially. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, mean he's kind of, a very average career up to this year. You know, so you sold high on him, and you picked up in return. I'm not saying. I mean, there are there's a good chance that Jose Tabata will never reach his potential. Right. However, he's 19. I, I think back, I mean, this is a terrible analogy in some ways, but I'm going to make it anyway. Is it terrible or terrible? Terrible. We'll, we'll judge it. We'll judge but that. A couple of years ago, the Rays, when they were doing their selling off, you know, and all, yeah. a couple of moves they made is they basically bought low, you know, on Dianir Navarro, who was a top yeah. prospect at one point, who basically the shine had kind of come off of. Yeah. And they also, Edwin Jackson was as about as good a pitching prospect as there was in the, you know, in baseball, right, and then he had tailed off, and there was questions about, well, you know, is he just not able to do it, right? And so they basically bought both of those guys. They traded for both of those guys when the value seemingly had diminished on them, correct? And they were patient with them, and we've seen this year what's kind of turned out from that. It's funny to hear people talk about Dani Navarro as one of the better, uh, he was one of the better young catchers in the game, but I guess he is, and he's still. And the thing <laughs> that's fa- is. fascinating is, is he's been around long enough that we forget. He really is young. Yeah, he's 25 or 26. He's, you know, he's, he's not yet to the prime of his career or what should be the prime of his career, that's for sure. But with Jose Tabata, you have the, the reasons that you know he's not considered as, uh, as fascinating a prospect maybe as he was going into the year yeah. was he's had some you know, discipline issues where basically it sounds like you know, it, it's something where you don't want to write it off as, hey, he's young, but it's very possible that Hey, he's young. That's right. You know, again, he's a teenager. He's, he might just being a be. He might just be in a case of him being a petulant teenager. And then the other part is, is he's not hit for power this year. He's really not hit, you know, at the level that they, you know, that you would expect. But we have to remember with that, he's coming off of a hand injury, right? And hand injuries are something that it's a hammock bone yeah, removed. It's when a, that happens, it sometimes takes. Now, sometimes it never happens, right? But if if it does happen, there are a lot of times where it takes, you know, a year and a half, two years before you really ever get the power back. And this really, and, that, and that's really the thing for Jose Tabata. I, I agree completely. The off-field stuff, that's a question you hope that maturity can solve. The performance, honestly, isn't even that. Awful when you factor in the hand problem. 248, 
320 on base, 310 slugging at double A right now for a 19 year old. That's not, it's not even acceptable, even with his age. A 630 OPS is not acceptable. But the power aspect is the big problem. And, you know, he had one awful month, JJ. And then since then, he's frankly been pretty good. Uh, Not great, pretty good. And people forget about, like, how serious that hand injury was because he played last year with it. That's correct. So when you even look at last year's numbers, and last year's numbers were for the FSL, for his age, were very good. But the question was he didn't hit for power. But he was playing essentially one-handed. Yeah, he had the same hand injury in August '06. For whatever reason, the Yankees did not pursue surgery. And they kept for a while saying, oh, no, 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 he doesn't have a hand injury. Oh, they wouldn't say anything about it for a whole year. Until yeah. he had surgery, they wouldn't admit it. And Chris like, Klein okay, reported yeah. it for us. We reported it in winter ball when he had to leave winter ball in Venezuela early. So I, I, I thought the Pirates did okay in that deal. And then I thought yesterday for Jason Bay, they did pretty doggone good. They got an everyday third baseman, Angela Roach. Now what that means for Neil Walker, oh, well, uh, to me, you just assemble talent. And to uh, me, also, it means with Neil Walker, um, you've got to do better than what you're doing before we can start setting aside spots for you. That's a great point. I um, mean, it's, it's, it's maybe – I don't want to go too far on this, but with the year that Walker's had, you know, at some point it goes beyond having potential. You're, you know, you're, you're up you, – Yeah, you no, he's got to perform. You, no, you've got to perform, and – The higher you go in the big leagues, the more – in the minor leagues, the more performance matters. And it's kind of hard to try to bank on a guy with a 266 on base percentage in AAA. You just you just can't build it. That's not a building block guy. No, that's, that's a guy who's going to repeat that level or has to have a really good fall league and spring training to, to change your mind about him. Right. You really are. Right now you're saying he's back in AAA next year, and he basically next year has to produce to kind of not just kind of fall off the radar somewhat. But um, you know, you, you know, they also got Brian Morris, like I said, Craig Hansen, Brandon Moss. Uh, here's uh, just a little thumbnail sketch I just did of their future lineup. I mean, future being kind of like now, like next week. <laughs> um, you basically, uh, I, I assume, I hope we're going to see Andrew McCutcheon up soon. And I hope we'll see, probably see Stephen Pierce, who is already up, I guess, maybe get some playing time. He's had a bad year this year as well. Uh, you've also got Brandon Moss in this outfield mix with those guys. And, of course, Nate McLouth is already their yeah. best outfielder. And he's an all-star. Uh, he, he's got all-around skills, not just a good hitter. We saw that throw in the, uh, in, the, in the all-star game. And if you've watched the Pirates at all this year and you've seen Nate McLeod, he plays very good defense as well. Um, you have the LaRoaches of the corners, which is a fascinating story yeah. in itself. Maybe Andy LaRoche gets off to a good start in April and May and then carries things <laughs> until his brother wakes up. Gets his medication right and gets going. I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about his ADD, but this guy does, is a notorious slow starter. So um, you're kind of tied to Freddie Sanchez at second base because of the contract. He's had a brutal year this year, but right? And you, you would but assume you also that do, the, tr- the true Freddie Sanchez is somewhere between this year and the last two years where he was a right. know, 320 hitter. So you basically say, okay, you still you're counting you, on. You should him be still. okay at second yeah. base. Jack Wilson's okay at shortstop, and Ryan Domit's kind of become a really good offensive player behind the plate. Honestly, I don't know enough about his defense to say whether or not he's the answer defensively for them. I remember a couple of years ago they had uh, was it Ronnie Paulino yeah. who had this great rookie year, and he is just off the face of the earth. He has vanished. I haven't asked John Parado what happened, uh, but you know Ryan Domit is slugging five fifty six. So if he can you, catch, you, 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 you're you, fine there. If he's blocking balls from rolling to the backstop, yeah. if you're the Pirates right now, you have other problems to deal with before you deal with the catcher who's oh, slugging five fifty. He has the highest OPS plus on the team, according to our, our friends over at BaseballReference.com. And Paulino, who is still around uh, after hitting three ten as a rookie, had a, a nice uh, two sixty three, three fourteen, three eighty nine last year. And then 
218, 287, 318 this year. So but, he, he may be the backup. But basically what the Pirates have done, and the new regime for the Pirates, you've got to give them some credit in that it, it beyond everything else, the problem with the old regime with the Pirates was is that it seemed like the aspiration was to 500. snap the streak. Yep. So you know, I would say that was true of both previous administrations, right. both the Littlefield one and the Bonifay one. Right. But it really was. It was to snap the streak. And so you would have – think about the difference if you're a Pirates fan right now compared to if you're a Pirates fan at this time last year. Now, I mean, admittedly, it's not easy being a Pirates fan, period. Yeah. But this time last year, you're trying to figure out why you traded for Matt Morris. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Compare that to now, and it's like, hey, we picked up – I mean, if you look at the Pirates system right now and compare it to the last five years, it's in the best shape. You know, they're no longer relying on bad draft picks that they've had to kind of keep pushing up the line because they were high draft picks. Well, and the thing is they can't rely on those guys because they're all hurt. Right. <laughs> now they're all – Brian Bullington just got a save last night against the Durham Bulls, pitching four innings for AAA Buffalo. John, you know, John Van Bitskoten with a nice 10 ERA in the big leagues this year. I think we can say that that was the wrong move. He should have probably tried to hit, not pitch. I know he's had these shoulder surgeries since that he can't hit anymore. That ship sailed, but that was the wrong move. But uh, now the Pirates at least – I think they look representative on the field, J.J., for the next few years if the LaRoches are as good as they can be and if Ryan Domit comes close to this. Uh, the difference for them, I think, over the next couple of years will be on the mound. You know, Ian Snell and Tom Gorzolani have been awful this year, basically thanks to Jim Tracy – and his pitching coach, I guess it was Jim Coburn last year, and Dave Littlefield flogging him and Snell last year, going to the whip late in the year to try like, to save their own jobs. Right. It was like, okay, yeah. Gross. We're... Just gross. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but it, it – they're still – I mean, let's be clear. There's The Pirates are still the, – the streak is still, you know, not in jeopardy for a while. That's, I, I, th- I think that a lot would have to go right for them to break the streak next year and avoid setting the record on their own. This year they'll tie – the Philadelphia Phillies with 16 straight uh, non-winning seasons. And I don't uh, – well, yeah, losing seasons. And I think the other th- piece of this puzzle is that I don't think the pitchers from the Yankees, Ross Ollendorf, Daniel McCutcheon, Jeff Carson's, are necessarily going to be difference makers. But I can see in the next three to four years, if the Pirates – if maybe some of these younger pitchers do develop better, uh, Gorzolani and Snell recover their 07 form, and they're both above-average pitchers, uh, Zach Duke – it's decent. Paul Mahalm keeps up what he's done this year. He's been very good for them this year. Uh, I can see McCutcheon, Ollendorf, and Craig Hansen being the back of their bullpen along with Matt Caps. if Matt Caps has anything left after he's also been flogged the last couple of years and, and not, I mean, used heavily. You might end up trading Matt Caps down the road to try to, you know. Yeah. Add, the, I, think thing, a bit, I think there was a good week for the Pirates. There are and, long ways. That but I think that they, they, I think it's hard to be a fan of the Pirates. And every, the guys who are your best players are always getting traded off. That would have to be dispiriting. Even if you see a good direction coming, I would be dispirited as a Pirates fan, even if I knew that it looks like there's better times ahead. You've been told that by Cam Bonifant. You've been told that by Dave Littlefield. At this point, you don't really have any reason to believe that and, it's better with Neil and Huntington. The, and the reality is, is that while this was a good week, the reality of it is is that when this season's over, when we're doing our top 100 next year... Yeah, how many of these guys are going to be in there? Not many. Not, that, not many, but I'll okay, say Daniel this. Moscow's won't be. I'll say Brad this. Brad Lincoln won't be. That's the main thing it comes back to, though, is, is that the Rays this year have shown there is no excuse out there for any team, not that you're going to be good all the time, Yeah. but the economics of the game are now... To have a this window. This is not... 19, you know, if you want to say that in 1995 they weren't there, it's not that way now. If you draft well, yep. 
Because if you're bad, you're going to get high picks. If you draft well and you draft with the willingness, we're not talking to spend $50 million on a player. Right. If you draft with the willingness to spend $4 million yeah. or $8 million yeah. if you need to to get the top talent in the draft. And then if you trade with the eye on not, hey, we're going to win 10 more games this year and get up to 81 games, yeah. you know, yeah. wins. But trade with the idea of three years down the road, we want to be a 90-win team. The pieces are there for you to do that. The Rays have showed it's it's possible. It's absolutely possible, and without really spending no a lot of money. And there is no excuse. Now, maybe you won't be able to keep Johan Santana when he gets when he blows up. But guess what? If you prepare, you can trade Johan Santana, and not even get any really return for your big league team, and still compete. I mean, uh, the the A's have done it for years. I mean, they could have kept competing this year. They chose to punt. That's a whole other podcast. What? But but the thing about it is, is that being bold. Being bold is actually, you know, it's, it always seems like it, it's, there's a lot better possibility of success with bold than timid. And if you want to describe what the Pirates have done in the past regimes. Oh, timid is one of the words, yes. Timid is the word because basically. I mean, Brian Bullington was a timid draft pick. Right. Brian I mean, Bullington. No offense to Brian Bullington, but he was timid. When B.J. Upton would have been bold. Right. And the reality of it Scott is... Scott Casimir that year would have been bold. Right. He was the best talent in the draft. If you wanted to take a pitcher, you would have taken Scott Casimir. And look but, how much better but look how many, Scott Casimir. But look how many years they went with, you know what, we're going to take the safe bet, yeah. who's closer to the, you know... Yeah, Brad Lincoln, was I wouldn't say timid, but he was the safe pick. Tim Lincecum would have been the bold pick. Right. I mean, and, I'm, and, it, you know, and we'll say hindsight's easy. Yeah, but we had Lincecum as the number two guy in that right. draft. Hey, we had Andrew Miller one, so maybe we were wrong about that. But we were bucking the consensus a little bit there to have Lincecum number two. But there, uh, it w- there were a lot of people out there who thought Tim Lincecum was better than Brad Lincoln. We had Brad Lincoln really high. We thought Tim Lincecum was better. Uh, to give another example. They would be better off if Jim Callis had been running their draft for them that year. To, to give another example. That's arrogant no, of me to say, I know, but, but I'm saying it. But to to give another example, like you look at what the Orioles have done, yeah, you know, in the last year, and you know they're a long ways away, and they're in a division where it's going to be always tough, obviously. Yep. But they stop being timid. Yeah. And they say, you know what, we'll draft Matt Weeters. Well, and drafting Matt Weeters, you know, when the Pirates had, you know, you want to talk about being timid. Yeah. Drafting Daniel Moscos. That was timid. Is timid. There's no offense to Daniel Moscos. He could be, I think, a very good big league reliever, but he should not have gone fourth overall. But Matt Weeters basically is sitting in double-A right now where the reality is is that you would be saying next year he's our – not only is he our starting catcher potentially. Yeah, he's our four-hole hitter. He's our four-hole hitter. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we expect him to be an all-star. Matt Weeders is also uh, the best position player prospect in the minor leagues, if you ask me. And I can see if you think out loud about the Orioles and you say a three, four, five, six in the future for them that has – Nick Markakis, Adam Jones, maybe Nolan Reimold in that six hole. Matt Weeders is in the middle of that. Luke Scott maybe could move over to first base for you because he's a nice complimentary bat. Uh, maybe Albrey Huff having a, re- a rediscover season this year is, in- is still in the mix there for them as their DH somewhere. All of a sudden, that team's interesting. All of a sudden, that lineup has got some depth to it. All of a sudden, if they even still have Brian Roberts, uh, the left side of their infield's an issue, but the rest of their team all of a sudden looks pretty good, even for next year. I mean, and, honestly, and, that, that's not you far-fetched. At, but for also, me. if you look at and you look at pitching for them, yeah. you look at it's like you know they actually even with I mean Adam Lowen, you know, basically going back to try the Rick Ankier route, they still have some interesting arms in that system too. Yeah, and that, that's I think they lag a little bit behind on the pitching compared to the hitting because the hitting is a little bit more big league ready. They have more bats in the big leagues right now. But I agree with you. There's hope in that organization. I do think that the Pirates have more hope now than did a week ago. I think Neil Hutchinson performed, Huntington performed well 
under these circumstances, I still think if I were a pirate fan, I would be dispirited. Even if, because uh, rationally, I would know all those Hopes things. Hopes went from two percent to ten percent. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. It's the Baseball America podcast. JJ Cooper and John Manuel with you. Uh, JJ, we haven't talked about King Griffey Jr. Let's touch on Jr. a little bit. We haven't even touched on Mark Teixeira a little bit. I think we all agree Mark Teixeira, good deal for the Braves are in total rebuilding, if you ask me now. They have to be. Oh, I, I think if you look at it with the Braves, I, if they had not somehow had not managed to trade Teixeira, it would have been really a, a, a disappointing thing from the standpoint that this team is, you know, I, I don't know right now how they can – Looking at it and looking at the rest of the division, it's not a you know an overwhelming division, but looking at the rest of the division yeah. for you know for 2009, will next year will be you know I don't, not many people out there are going to be saying hey you know you got to bet on the Braves because yeah, exactly. the Braves are always there. Well, they haven't been for a couple of years now, and that pitching rotation has to be rebuilt. It's getting ready to be three straight years, and I think the Glavin Smoltz experiment this year turned out as it should have been expected. Let's hope the Braves don't count on Mike Hampton next year since he won't be under contract to them. So basically you're looking at your rotation for next year, and you got Jar Jurgens and question marks because Tim, Tim Hudson. Hudson might need Tommy Johnson. I know that's not 100% yet. but We don't know if John Smoltz will be, you know, if he is, he'll probably be in the pen, right. but we don't even know if he'll be but in the pen or retired. Who's the sure thing after Jar Jurgens? There's no sure thing. I mean, the, if, if, the, if there's any more glaring indictment of the Braves' inability to develop pitching over the last 10 years, I don't know what, what can possibly be. They haven't been the, – they're not the organization people think they are. They're still a very good organization at player development. Look in the field. Look at Yunel Escobar. Look at Brian McCann. To a lesser extent, Jeff Francoeur, Kelly Johnson. They've got position players out the yin-yang they developed over I mean, the you years. Still have to give very them, yeah. good at scouting and player Basically, development. Basically, they're, they're, they're home – I mean, as far as an, a lineup, they're – more homegrown than most. Absolutely. They're still very good at scouting player development and, and growing their own players. They're just not as good at it on the pitching side as they used to be. No one's that good. No one comes up with Smoltz and Glavin and Steve Avery and uh, Kevin Millwood and Jason Schmidt all in a row like they did. But they don't either. People still assume they do, and they don't. Now they come up with Chuck James. Now they come up with JoJo Reyes. And they come up with Charlie Morton. These guys ain't getting it done. They're not good enough. No, I think, no I'll say this. I do think that... I do think that when it's all said and done, you'll see that a couple of their young arms will probably end up developing some. I think Charlie Morton, he, he's been brutal this year. Yeah. He has stuff. He does have stuff. You know, where you could look down the road and say, okay, you know, there, the, we saw with, I mean, Smoltz and Glavin and all them, the adjustment to the big leagues can be, you know, can be a difficult one. It can be. But. I'm not as optimistic as you are on old Charlie Morton. I, or jo- I'm definitely not optimistic on old JoJo Reyes. I'm not a JoJo Reyes guy. And uh, I don't know. I don't know where outside of uh, Tommy Hansen, I don't know where the help comes for them. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's Yankee a little fans further will, away. I'm sure Yankee fans will be disappointed that, that Matt DeSalvo is not the answer in, in, uh, for Atlanta. Uh, I just don't think that they have a whole lot of in-house answers, and uh, they're going to have to be bold. And this was not the, the share trade was not a bold trade. They got a first baseman back for their first baseman, right. which I don't I don't quite understand uh, why they do that. Uh, I guess they don't have the trust in Barbaro Canizares, the former uh, Cuban defector, to come up and uh, and have been their stopgap first baseman. I would have loved to have seen that, been given a shot, to be honest with you. But <laughs> and then moving on, you know, when we're talking about the Griffey trade, basically, the reality of it is, is when we first, I mean, the, the best way to put it is when we first heard yesterday, oh, you know, there's you know talk of a Griffey, you know, to the White Sox trade, and. Basically, the question was, wait, whoa, what? And yeah. what was on a several reasons. One, 
So how does Griffey fit for the White Sox? Two, so who exactly would the White Sox give up? Because, I mean, there's no other way to put it. When you look at the White Sox farm system, you struggle to find names of, oh, well, that guy fits oh, for someone. A, you think a Holly Hunter in the Raising Arizona telling Hi that she's barren. <laughs> I mean, you knew it was like, okay, well, they're not going to trade Pareda. They're not right. going to trade, you know. You know, I thought of, like, maybe they'll trade John Eli. Is that who they dealt? Was it John Eli? And, and the reality <laughs> was is that what became clear when the names came out there, I mean, is. It was a money deal. It's basically, you know. Hey, we wish you good luck, you know, Ken. We want to get you on a team where you know they have a playoff chance, yeah. and thanks they'll pay. Having, thanks for all. And they'll pay part of your salary. Year. So, yay. Yes. And that's basically what it was. I think it was smart for the Reds to turn the page. I, I, I also thought maybe Juan Uribe would be involved in that because he's like an extra piece uh, for the White Sox, and the Reds are desperate at shortstop. But his contract expires at the end of this year as well, so it really wouldn't have made sense for the Reds. They do get Danny Rechar and Nick Massett. Those guys could both be complimentary players if the Reds are good in the next couple of years. But, boy, uh, uh, it's an end of a kind of a sad chapter for Ken Griffey Jr. because his Reds career was so just uh, uh, underwhelming. It just never worked out for him. And he was just a dominant player in Seattle. He aged like a normal player, A, which is great. But, B, uh, it's just sad that he never was at his best in Cincinnati, it seems like. WLW, the – the big one in Cincinnati. The was, big right-wing one in Cincinnati. But was uh, <laughs> uh, airing snippets from when Griffey was you know, brought to Cincinnati and yeah. you know, all the fans talking about the last time how many Jim World Bowden Series. The last time Jim was as a bright young executive. And it is. It's like it, – it pro- I mean, I was kind of surprised. I mean, the reality is that Cincinnati didn't turn the page even a little bit more. Yeah. Although I understand, like, with Griffey, you trade Griffey even if you basically are getting 10 cents on the dollar. That's right. Because – you're not going to offer him arbitration at the end of yeah. the year. I mean, people say, well, what about the draft pick? You don't You're not going to offer Griffey arbitration because he might take it. That's right. With Adam Dunn, maybe you do keep him if you don't get an offer you really like right. because the, the thought of bringing Adam Dunn back one year on arbitration doesn't sound all that bad. He Absolutely probably not. won't take it. Yeah. And if he doesn't take it, you get the picks. You do wonder why. You know, there's just a dis- there's just a, there are two. Uh, the th- opinions on Adam Dunn are just so disparate, J.J. P- people either love him or hate him. It, gosh, it seems like the broadcasters in Cincinnati and a lot of the fans there hate him, and uh, the stat heads love him. Uh, the, the, certainly the truth is somewhere in between. I don't think he's as uh, useless uh, with all those home runs and walks that people think. I also don't think he's as valuable with all the walks. He doesn't defend. He's not. He can't run. run the bases. He, I mean, that, that's the thing is, is that like his on-base percentage is not the same. That's right. As if Juan Pierre obviously is putting the same up a as three. like Brian freaking Downing, you know. Right. Like if he were Brian Downing and like that good of a base runner and those kind of things, even as slow as Downing was, you know what? He probably would have been leading off. But that being said, it also seems true that when you have a team that disappoints, and the yeah. Reds have disappointed, no doubt. What ends up happening is is that the ire for the disappointment doesn't get focused on the Brandon Phillips. Yeah, it, you know, or or you know, or you know, really take a you know step. It's not well, we don't have really a good catching situation. Yeah, exactly. What it gets focused on is the best players and what they don't do well. Correct. And that's what's I mean, I think, you know, you are talking about basically a guy who still I mean they're not when he leaves, they're not going to have a, you know, Jay Bruce is great, but they're not going to have that power hitter who just immediately, you know, is battling for the home run crown. 
Yeah. Oh, no, there's, there's no doubt that there's going to be a, a significant downgrade no matter what they do with Adam Dunn when you go 243, 385, 567. But I, just to put it in perspective a little bit, his OPS plus is 143. Ryan Domitz is 144. I mean, I'm just saying, I think Adam Dunn is a really good player. I don't think he's a superstar. I don't think he's a three- or four-hole hitter on a championship team. I really don't. I think he's a five-hole hitter. He swings and misses too much, and uh, you know he's 13 doubles, 32 home runs. I mean, he, just, he is hitting 230, He's basically, if you want the, the closest, equ- the closest equivalent to him is uh, it, the closest I can think of to what he does was Mark McGuire in the later years of his career where basically— He's like Mickey Kettleton to me. That's he, what he's like. You he's, could hit it out. Yeah. You could walk, but I mean, it's the the amount of singles and doubles that you know come with it is that's right, is I mean, amazingly few. It doesn't mean that he's not really good. I can almost see though where you wouldn't want to pay him fifteen million dollars a year and make him the centerpiece of your club because I I really don't think that his profile is championship caliber cleanup hitter. I I, I don't I don't think I'm crazy to say that. I, I don't know how I ended up on the Cole Hahn website, but I really don't think I'm I'm crazy for saying that. Do you think he's a championship caliber four hole hitter? No, I don't think he's a four hole hitter. I, I don't think that's the thing. So you're I, like, I think he would have fit great like for the Angels in between all their hitters. Yeah, but once but Mark Teixeira fits better. Right. No, I, I I you know, and I understand what the Rays saying. Hey, right. we're not going to do it this way because the reality of it is is that you know we would the Rays. Sitting there makes some sense because they're basically what they're essentially hoping for is is that Rocco Baldelli can be, you know, a piece. That's right. That would be almost as good as anything they could have gone out and traded for, but without him having to caught, you know spend anything to get him. I mean, the Rays are a year ahead of schedule here. Right. So, I still think they have to like go for it as much as they possibly can go for it. I don't know if Justin Ruggiano. Uh, Rocco Baldelli and David Price are going to put them over the hump. I think the Yankees, I, I do follow into the group thing, I guess, a little bit of where I think the Yankees really improved themselves. It's very iffy for Boston. I think Boston may be better for the regular season. Now, have you heard about this Sean McAdams story as we wrap up the podcast? Where Sean McAdams of the Providence Journal um, wrote a story that uh, apparently Red Sox veterans met with Theo Epstein on Wednesday after their game. And I, th- I think Theo called the meeting, but they basically conveyed to him, you need to go ahead and get rid of Manny. Do what you have to do. Manny Ramirez me, is a, has become a cancer, basically, in this clubhouse. To me, I, I, to me, I, I, I can very much see why they made that trade. I will ask you this though, as we get ready to wrap up, we know we're going a long one here, yeah. but it's trade deadline it's day. Trade we're, deadline, why not? But with the Rays, so what would have been, you know, beyond maybe picking up a, an arm for the bullpen and not a, yeah. you know, really, they didn't need a Brian Fuentes I, even necessarily, but like, just, right. But what would you? What would have been the move to make? I guess my point is if they were holding on to Reed Brignac and that maybe not wanting to deal, hesitancy over dealing Reed Brignac is what kept them from getting Jason Bay. I think, that was, I think that's a mistake. I like Reed Brignac. I don't think he's a difference-making shortstop. I think we he's don't a know, good shortstop. We obviously don't know if that's correct. Or not. Correct. And I, like, for example, if, uh, if they didn't get involved with the Braves or didn't try to get involved with the Braves uh, on the Teixeira deal, if what the Braves wanted back were pitching, again, I think that the fact that you have AAA pitchers who are ready for the major leagues like Jeff Neiman and, Je- and Mitch Talbot, I think those are pretty good trading pieces. The Yank, I mean, like on Xavier Nady, for example, I would almost take, I would rather have Jeff Neiman and Mitch Talbot than anybody else in that Yankees deal with the exception of Daniel McCutcheon. I mean, I think Ross Ondorf's a reliever. Uh, I-, I think Talbot's got a chance to be a fourth starter. I mean, things have to come together for him, but. Uh, he, he, the the Rays had pitching to trade, 
which I'm surprised that they, they didn't make they any deals. They had pitching to trade without affecting their long term. The reality Correct. is that for them, they saw Jason Hamill was a guy they could have dealt. For it them, doesn't affect their big league team. Really. For them, Jeff Neiman, Mitch Talbot, you can go on for several other guys if you're projecting out, even with a couple of injuries, because yeah. it's always going to happen pitching injuries. Yeah. You still like Jeff Neiman is a starter. He can't relieve. That's right. He can't. He can't warm up quick enough That's to right. relieve. He physically and that can't being do the it. Case, you don't really project out that the, he will ever be a starter for them. It's a shame because he annihilates right-handed hitters. He'd be a great middle reliever, but he just can't. You warm have up to quickly. basically be a guy who you say, "Okay, well, you're done We're in the fifth. In, exactly. We're bringing you in to start the sixth. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Which so. is a little tough to do. That kind of hamstrings your bullpen a little bit. It'd be kind of neat if uh, you just piggyback the guy at the big leagues for four innings, and he was the but, piggyback guy. But they're going to hold on to Jeremy Hellickson. They're going to hold on to David Price. Uh, if you trade some of the other guys, they're probably going to hold on to Wade Davis. Probably, you, yeah. But, you know, guys who are they could get rid of, guys who they could trade, uh, Heath Rollins is a guy who's attractive to some teams. Uh, we already mentioned Talbot. We already mentioned Neiman. Uh, they have other pieces. James Hauser, That's Alex right. Cobb. They have depth. Uh, I mean, they have – their pitching depth is uh, – the best way I could jokingly – I was jokingly when we were talking around the office about it, I said, you know, like if they were interested, you know, in kind of that middling level guy, you know, in a trade – I would be willing to go to them if I was in their team and say, okay, you block out 10 pitchers That's right. from your minor league system that you will not trade, and can we pick number 11? Yeah. And I'll do that trade. Just about. You could just about do that with them. I mean, they have that much where you're not talking about a sure thing, but they have enough pitching that you could say, well, that number 11 guy, you know, he he has a chance. Heath Rollins or Chris Mason, those kind of guys, uh, those guys, those guys might be down number 11 on their depth chart. Josh Butler, who was a high pickup, well, you know, T- Chuck Tiffany, uh, obviously having trouble throwing strikes coming back from his injury. But Mike Woodlarchik, <laughs> they have guys. Uh, uh, it's not like they're going to be needing to replace the Casmers and Garzas and James Shields anytime soon in their big league yeah, rotation. And you know David Price is part of that future. So th- you want to have depth, but that's what part of the reason that you have depth is to make these kind of trades. So uh, great podcast, JJ. Enjoyed uh, enjoyed doing it with you. Trade deadline and, uh, day, always fun. Trade deadline day was uh, pretty tepid. I'm glad we weren't live on the air waiting for trade deadlines. I will also say kudos to Ken Rosenthal and kudos to uh, John Heyman for scooping the rest of the uh, – dot coms out there, uh, especially ESPN, which was on the air, and those other guys are first, and ESPN's kind of last on the Manny Ramirez trade, which was a little shocking considering how uh, you know how Bostonian and how New New England centric uh, ESPN is. So that was another fascinating part of trade deadline day was watching the the new media era and how it reacted to trade deadline day. But that's a whole other show, I think. JJ, so for JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll wrap up the podcast, and we'll see you next week on the Baseball America podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them.
them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.